0: Last night I had an epiphany and it came as a result of listening to the episode that you are about to listen to right now. Specifically, it came from this statement.
1: And and if you can find pleasure in more accessible places, then you're going to be happier than if you're the guy who needs to go to the fucking top of the mountain before you're happy. I I just don't believe... I don't believe that hard work, you know, builds character. Fuck that. The best work is work that doesn't feel like work. For those of you who listened to
0: episode number 48 with Dr. Chris Ryan, you know that I am in L.A. this summer. I'm crashing at friends' houses, and I'm trying to sell a TV show called Spotlight Blue. It's about people who have a unique relationship with water and the places that have come to define them. And so far... What this has looked like is me sending a bunch of emails that have not been returned and sending phone calls that have also not been returned. And it's felt like a lot of work. And what it's also doing is it's taking time away from this podcast, which I'm actually more excited about. So far, though, this summer, I've had this silly, myopic idea in my head that if I don't sell a show this summer, then I will have failed. So the epiphany was that I don't need to do everything right now. And it's better for me to focus on doing a few things really well than it is to do a mediocre job at too many things. That doesn't mean that I'm never going to sell a show, but what it does mean is that this summer it's okay to just focus on the podcast and it's okay to focus on my writing and my surfing. It makes me think about a quote that I love by the great Derek Sivers. And the quote is that it should either be a no or a hell yes. Big thank you. To Joe, thank you to Nick, thank you to Jeff for supporting this show on Patreon this week. For those of you who don't know, it's donations from people like you that help keep this show going. So you can go over to my website, kyle.surf, donate just a few bucks a month, and it helps support the show. And not only that, it enters you into a monthly raffle where I give away gear from all of my surf sponsors, including Patagonia Provisions, Sector 9 Skateboards, and RPM Fitness. So you could donate just a few bucks and you could have a fitness kit or a bunch of food from Patagonia or a skateboard sent to your doorstep. Three people win every single month. If you don't have money, totally get it. Times are tough. But you can support this show on Amazon.com. I'm now on Amazon. Oh, you can't support this show on, on Amazon. I can't legally say that. Uh, but you can, can, you can go to my website, Kyle.Surf. You can click the Amazon link. You bookmark that. And then you use that link every time you buy shit on Amazon. And then I get a fraction of that purchase at no cost to you. But uh it definitely does not go to supporting the podcast it goes to a fund that i'm starting to find homes for retired horses it doesn't actually do that but that's what we're gonna say (laughs) this episode is a round two with dr chris ryan dr chris ryan was a featured speaker at ted in long beach It's where the big dogs go, and he is the co-author of the New York Times bestseller Sex at Dawn, How We Mate, Why We Stray, and What It Means for Modern Relationships. The book was translated into 15 languages. Chris's podcast, Tangentially Speaking, reaches hundreds of thousands of listeners every single month and is one of the most bold and honest shows out there today. I was episode number 247 on his podcast, if you're interested in checking that one out. Last podcast that I did with Chris, uh, we focused on his life story. It was a much more sober conversation. (laughs) This one, we uh, got a little drunky, a little drunk. Uh, But it was good. There was some gold in it. We talked about float tanks. We talked about altered states of consciousness. We talked about how language may shape identity and much, much more. I apologize for not getting Chris to finish his story about the time that he shared a joint with Pierce Brosnan. He started telling the story and then all of a sudden we somehow got to Mick Jagger and how he looks like a homeless person and... Spiraled out of control into a thousand other subjects. So, fasten your seatbelts, crack open an IPA, and please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Christopher Ryan. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure
1: of waking up and not knowing what will happen, and that being my job.
0: I'm standing at a right. desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Right. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Welcome to the... The Show.
1: Got the backup plan. We got our IPA
0: ready. You got your cooler for your upcoming trip. I do. It's a Yeti. Fully stocked. Are you sponsored by Yeti? <laughs> no, I did a campaign with them once, and uh, they're a cool fucking company, man. Well, if you're not sponsored by them, stop saying nice
1: things about them. You can't do that for free.
0: They're one of those companies that I feel okay about doing that <laughs> for, because their coolers <laughs> work so well. It's a good cooler, but it's like 350 bucks, Dude, I got one of the big ones, like yeah. the ones that you put a fucking bluefin tuna in. Yeah. The retail price on those was like $1,000. Yeah. But who would have thought? Coolers. They came into the market. They know how to make it strong.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's bear proof. Did you ever see their their bear commercial? Well, I've seen that there's a testing site up around Yosemite somewhere. Or not Yosemite, uh, Yellowstone where they have bears and they and cooler companies pay them and like garbage can company you know people who make shit that bears get into pay them and they've got live grizzly bears there and they'll throw shit in with you know fish guts in it one of
0: the best commercials i've ever seen it was a yeti commercial And it was a grizzly bear, and it was uh, circling one of their coolers, and it just starts fucking ripping it apart. And then at the end of the commercial, and it can't get it open, the end of the commercial
1: says, Yeti coolers, bear proof. Simple. Yeah. Easy to remember.
0: You you got quite a trip coming up, man. Happy you have your cooler with you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm even happier. I've got my solar-powered refrigerator with me. That's what that's what's happening. Is it working? Oh fuck yeah! Yeah, it's fantastic. I've got one solar panel on the roof of the van, and it powers the exhaust fan, um, the the fridge, the interior lights, and I can charge my phone and whatever. I mean, it's fantastic. It's a good system.
0: That's amazing how much power can come out of just it one is. solar
1: panel. Yeah, I mean it powers up two. I got two batteries. And uh, and then when the car when the van is running, it powers up the va- the batteries if they're not topped off. It powers it up from the you know the the engine the engine alternator. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's cool because you can run those two batteries down, and it doesn't draw from the the car battery. So you you don't have to worry about. Uh, you know not being able to start it up
0: right have there been any purchases that you've made for the van that have just been like nah Like I thought that was going to work but it didn't
1: fucking work well I haven't really been out in the van yet so I haven't done the test but I know I think everything I've bought at this point I think was a good purchase I got a big um canopy you know it's mounted on the side, two meters by two meters. So that's going to be great to that sit out cool. there and have shade and/or protection from the rain. Yeah, if for it's your pale skin, that'll be my that'll pale be bald. Really I've got a bald spot to start thinking about too. Yeah. That's important. You drink the pale ale. I drink pale ale. Is that why I'm so pale? Is that what it is? So if I were drinking porter, I'd it's, be swarthy and you, brown. you know about by the now. Tanley
0: Cup? Have I told you about this? No. So my friends and I uh, have a competition every year called the Tanley Cup, mm. and you're obviously going for the bronze medal in the Chanley Cup, so. <laughs> <laughs> me? Me first. Well, you're drinking the pale ale. Uh-huh. Uh I'm more like Pierce Bronson. My friend Shane is like the. I po- shared a joint the-
1: with Pierce Bronson once. Really? Yeah. What was that story like? Uh, my girlfriend at the time was working in this very high-end restaurant in San Francisco called Aqua, uh, fish restaurant, obviously, and she was the the greeter, you know, the D or whatever it's called. Super hot, and you know, so she's like the first person you saw when you walked in, and she'd you know take you to the table and one night she was there, and this guy came in looking like he was homeless and wanted to sit at the bar and wait for his daughter and she was like, okay, I guess, and she sat him at the bar and then um and then like the someone from the kitchen came out and like was like That's Mick Jagger. And she was like, really? She called him Mike Jagger. She was Spanish. She didn't know. Um, Anyway, so she just, you know, was totally natural with him and hit it off with him. And then his daughter came. And then I guess... Keith came Wait so it was Mick Jagger It was Mick Jagger But she didn't Recognize him She just thought He was some Homeless guy Because he was Dressed all weird you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens When you really Make
0: it in, in uh, The music business Yeah You go beyond The uh, Louis
1: Vuitton
0: Yeah The oh, dressing's yeah.
1: Super nice And you start Going homeless Well I don't know If you and I Have talked about The, the research Showing Very interesting Research That it took uh, A bunch of Photos of men Wearing different Outfits and then looked at how women responded to the men how attractive they found them so they had so they had like the same 50 guys right and they took photos of them wearing like a t-shirt and jeans you know sort of typical lower class kind of symbol symbolizing outfits and then like a suit and tie right and so and then they'd show these images to women and you know rate how attractive you find the guy and they found consistently the same dudes in the suit and tie the women rated them more attractive than the But then they did the same thing where they had the same guys wearing like clothing where it was clear they just didn't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Not fashionably low key, but just like.
0: There's a little bit just of dirt on it. Yeah, like yeah. it's been like 5 days <laughs> right. since I've sha- shaved because I just haven't had time. I'm busy, baby. I've been on too many adventures, baby. Yeah. Yeah, I've and been the- out with my Yeti cooler and I just haven't <laughs> had time to shower or
1: shave. I got a single solar panel I'm living life keeping this yeah. baby away from bears. So the women were uh, most of the women rated those guys higher than either the other. So, the way I interpret that is you've got Guys who lose at the game, guys who win at the game, and guys who are beyond the game. They're yeah, outside of the box then. Yeah, they're like a hey, I don't win, I don't lose, I ain't playing that game.
0: Well when it's authentic, that's what really matters. That's it.
1: If you fake it, yeah, then it doesn't then work. Yeah. Uh,
0: man, I the the most uh attention I've ever received from women any single night in my life. I had been out surfing all day, and there's this wave in Santa Cruz that rarely uh, gets good, but when it does, it's the best barreling wave um, in our town. And I had surfed all day, getting barreled out of my mind, and when I walked into the bar that night, I had the, the glazed eye and the salty skin of a man who had just had a damn good day. Right. And I sat at the bar, and I don't know what it was, but... I've never received that level of attention because there was this authentic vibe of like, oh, man, I just had a good day and I, I'm not searching for anything now.
1: That's it. And, and that's a lesson that young guys have a real hard time learning because of the testosterone poisoning that they're suffering from. But uh, yeah, not needing anything is incredibly attractive.
0: Fed dog. You know, that one, you know, you see a fed dog and you walk up to them and you want to pet them because they're not barking at you.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. True. I, I remember when I was, I was like your age, I was in my mid twenties or something. I was living in New York and I can remember like the morning after I'd like had really good sex, like. Fucking all night, fucking in the morning, and then I go downstairs to get you know some croissants or something, and I'm <laughs> walking to the bakery, and it was just like women are checking me out. And it's like. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like I'm no 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 power. I'm drained. I am so drained
0: and harmless. Now like, I'm picturing you from Bruce Almighty. He's walking down the street and it's like he, like points at the woman. Her dress flies up. Oh yeah. Now you're less energetic than that. Less,
1: far less uh, energetic than that. I mean, I was just like I couldn't fuck you if you asked me to. And now's when everybody's like giving me the look. It's crazy. Yeah, but that's the way it works.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that y- what, by that time, had you shifted your sexual paradigm from conventional ways that, that most people think about sex and relationships?
1: Probably not. No, I mean, in New York, I was... Well, I mean, I don't know. It depends. I, I don't know what we mean by conventional and unconventional. I guess I've never been conventional.
0: Well, you've never chased it. I mean, like last time I had you on the show, you were talking right. about getting dumped by this woman and then like having this kind of paradigm shift of like, wait, why should I be chasing someone who doesn't like me? Oh, yeah. And what a freeing
1: moment that was for yeah, you. Yeah, and that was high school. So, I mean, that, that goes way back to the origins. But, <clears throat> I mean, as far as like... uh Understanding that I wasn't uh, monogamous, um, I didn't understand that yet. I was still thinking if I met the right woman, suddenly everything would click into place. So what were the croissants like? (sighs) (laughs) I don't remember. Buttery and warm, I imagine. Yeah. I want to hear about your (laughs) upcoming trip. Yeah, well, the upcoming trip, you know, it's all playing it by year, but uh, yeah, I'll be it's leaving. happening. When are you going to release this? Uh, probably while you're on your trip. So I will have left? Yeah, you will have left. Uh, headed north. Uh, basically, I'm going to be in, you know, I, I've got three hard dates at this point. Um, August 11th to 14th, I'm going to be in Portland doing um, attending the, the float conference where all the people interested in float tanks and in that industry, designing them uh, are going to be in attendance. I know a lot of people in that world. For some reason, I'm popular among float tank (laughs) enthusiasts. I don't know why, Uh, but I'm going to be there with Duncan Trussell. We're going to do a live podcast recording.
0: Is there something that interests you specifically about float tanks?
1: Um, well, you know, I've always been interested in altered states of consciousness and, uh, I've tried to meditate a lot over the years, uh, with minimal success because I find myself distracted by bodily stuff. You know, it's really hard for me to sit in a, you know, cross-legged position for more than five minutes without starting to feel like my knees hurt, my hips hurt, my back hurts, you know? It's just not a natural position. You're seeking enlightenment through sensation and experience. Exactly. Yeah. The the negation of sensation has never been my jam. But the first time I floated at uh, Zero Gravity Institute in Austin, Texas, which is owned by a guy who's now become a good friend of mine, Kevin Johnson, um, I had an epiphany. uh, And I felt, you know, because I'd done, I did a Vipassana 10-day Uh, retreat, total silence, no eye contact, no reading, no media of any sort, 10 days of you're in your head. Um, That was really interesting, but hard, you know, and, and the thing is, I've always, maybe I'm just a pussy, but I've always been very suspicious of when people say it's supposed to be hard, I'm like, really? Does it really need to be hard? Because that sounds an awful lot like original sin and the work ethic and all this other bullshit <laughs> I've been hearing my whole life. You know, marriage is hard work. Yeah, maybe it's the wrong marriage. You know, maybe you're married to the wrong person if it's that much work. You know, or I, I, I just have never believed in work. I remember when I was a kid, my father, you know, would like, you know, my job was to cut the lawn and I would just do a shitty job at it, you know, and like I wouldn't trim around the trees. And and the, you know, he bought me like a self-powered lawnmower, and then we and then eventually he bought me a riding lawnmower to sort of tempt because it was like a car and it had gears and stuff, and I'd ride around on that. But I still did a shitty job. And I can remember having this conversation with him where he and he paid me to do it. Right. It was like my allowance was based on me cutting the lawn and whatever other shit I was supposed to do. And I can remember him just sort of I must have been 12 or 13 or something. And and him saying like, but you didn't trim around the trees again, you know, and you really and he was trying to instill in me this respect for work and doing a thing right. And I remember he wasn't angry. He was confused as to why I wasn't getting the message. It's funny the things you remember, you know. But I remember the look in his eyes was not the typical like yeah, because I always did things half-assed. That was the phrase I used to hear. Ah, oh, he did it. It was a half-ass job, and I can remember he was looking at me and he wasn't disappointed. He wasn't angry. He was just like, "How come this kid doesn't get it?" And he and he said, "Don't you, you don't feel any pride in your work?" And I said, "Dad, the grass is just gonna grow back." Like, this is meaningless. What? Are, how am I supposed to feel pride in cutting grass that's going to just grow back next week? I don't get it.
0: So does it have more to do with the task at hand and if you feel passion around the task than, yeah. than excellence itself, because clearly yeah. you're capable of excellence when you apply yourself to it. Even in certain disciplines
1: the word excellence yeah, yeah the you, hair on the back of my I know head. you get very combative, like you, you I, get combative around the word excellence. Well, because it's used to manipulate people so much excellence. Um, you know, like, uh, Le- the, legacy the best you yeah. got to be the best you got it, this is all this american you know never settle for less than perfection you know strive and oh give me a fucking break man we live 70 or 80 years none of us are going to be you know excelling and everything and and if you can find pleasure in more accessible places then you're going to be happier than if you're the guy who needs to go to the fucking top of the mountain before you're happy. I, I just don't believe, I don't believe that hard work, you know, builds character. Fuck that. The best work is work that doesn't feel like work right that's the work you want to be doing it's the work that you want to be doing you, you enjoy doing it so do float tanks feel like work for you? So, oh, I forgot that that's what got us onto all this so no that was the beauty of it that the first time I was in a float tank I was lying there and the first thing that happened was I went into this sort of dreamlike state and I realized that I was seeing a vision I, I swear this is true I was seeing a vision of Joe Rogan with a halo over <laughs> his bald, <laughs> overly muscular head. <laughs> and he was floating across my mind's wait, visual wait, field. Wait, wait. And I started laughing what my was ass the, what off. What was the backdrop? It's just darkness. It was just Joe Rogan's mm, you know, muscle head with a halo floating over me. And I was like, that is fucking hilarious. Um, and anyway, I, I realized that I was in a meditative state and it was effortless because, because I wasn't distracted by my body. Right. It was just a mind state. It was, it was floating in darkness, you know, like, like there was no up and down. There was no body. There was just this mental awareness And I realized like that's where I had been trying to get. That's what people had been describing to me. That's what I'd been reading about for years and years and years. And this was this was a way to get there that was effortless and painless. And all that pain that that, you know, the sort of Zen masters will come with their cane and slap you on the back. And, you know, all this shit is supposed to get you to this place. And here I was without any of this fucking bullshit did you find that when you started
0: thinking about that state of consciousness, then you removed yourself from it and had to get back there? Like, was there that tug of war of like being in it and then being like, now I'm thinking about myself thinking about this, but all right, now I want to get back to this, this sense of, um, I'm ultimately just, just noticing your thoughts more effectively.
1: Yeah. and, And you notice your thoughts and then you let them go and then they stop. And, and that was the beauty of it that, uh, I woke up without having been asleep that that's how I felt like you know the first half hour or so was what you described sort of vacillating between being sort of in a state of consciousness where I was just there. And then suddenly I was like, Whoa, look at where I am. And and then of course you get into your head and blah, blah, blah. And it's the drunk. How am I going to describe this on the next podcast? Yeah. This is a crazy. Hmm. State of my, mind. Damn it. How should I be, begin my Yelp review of this experience? <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, they, with the, the Buddhist called the drunken monkey, right? Like blah, 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 blah. But, uh, eventually that you just ignore it and it, goes to sleep it it wanders away and then you in my experience you're in this state of just being and hallucination or whatever it is but you're not asleep you're not like out or at least for me it didn't feel like I was out it felt like I was in some sort of in-between field And, uh, you know, and then at the end when the the lights start to come on and the music starts playing or whatever, it's like, Oh, I'm back. Where was I? I wasn't asleep, but I wasn't here. Not sure where I was. Did you feel like it was a similar experience to when you've used psychedelics? No, because for, for psychedelics, I, I feel that it's, um, a heightened, um, awareness. And this was an absence of awareness of at least external awareness
0: well absence of senses at least yeah so it's not like oh wow that green is so much more green right and what was the benefit of that experience in the float tank
1: well i've done it a bunch of times that was the first time in in austin and then i was living in portland and the guys at float on shout out to the guys at float on ash ash i think his name is um, is the one of the owners there. They reached out to me because they heard I was in town and um, so they sort of hooked me up with some free floats and then a, a really generous discount after that. So I was able to um, take advantage of it and do it 20, 30 times. So I really started getting to get into it you know. And um, the benefit, I would say is is a deep relaxation, deeper than sleep. And uh, that was cool. And then they uh, up at Float On in Portland, they had speakers um, under the water level. And they let me bring my own um, MP3 or uh, what's it called? A thumb drive with, with my own playlist. And they would put my music on. And I experimented with different kinds of music that would transmit better or worse in the water you know
0: i just put on a joe rogan podcast and picture him with a halo over his head <laughs> that's right <laughs> listening <laughs> to joe <laughs> talking talk about UFC talk about indoctrination <laughs> <That's> <laughs> get, right. get you in the state of almost being asleep yeah <laughs> with no senses and only this voice in your head
1: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, no. So that was fun to be able to like get into that state of consciousness and then have them play music of my choice but, and really groove, on, groove on it. But that's still work. That's still. Have you done it? Float
0: yeah, tank? yeah. No, I have my, uh, since we're shouting out float tank centers, my buddy yeah, Gary at Sage float spa has started a, a float tank spa. He started a float tank center. Where is and, it? and It's Cruz? in Santa Cruz. Yeah. Right on, on 41st Avenue. And I will say that fuck dude the transition that got, that guy has made in his life energetically like it wasn't like he was like he was on the edge and then he came back but just dude just energetically man like when you when you when i hang out with him now there is a level of comfort with himself mm. that I don't see many people, uh, at least in their twenties, he's like 29 years old, um, uh, or right around that age. I don't see many people that have that possession of self that he does. And yeah, I, I've experimented with it. I haven't gone deep into it. I had some cuts most of the times that I was you know I was coming back from surf trips. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Yeah. The salinity,
1: it gets, yeah, you don't want to shave before you go. in. No,
0: no, you know? no. Um, but yeah, it's, but it's still work and you're clearly looking for like, you're still w- willing to work on altered states of consciousness. Is that
1: right? But I wouldn't call that work, work, lie back in a dark room and just chill out for an hour and a half. If that's work, you know, <laughs> <Sign me laughs> sign up. <me> up. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be there Monday morning. Um, yeah, see, that's okay. Getting back to this whole work ethic and excellence and all this. I, I feel like, the pleasure receptors of the brain and body are there for a reason. And our ultimate purpose on this planet is not empty pleasure, but deep, fulfilling pleasure. And, you know, it's... There's a reason water tastes so good when you're thirsty, right? There's there's a reason you need to rest when you're tired. All these things. I think a lot of our difficulties in life are that we are indoctrinated in systems designed to get us to ignore the messages that we're getting from our bodies and from our deeper selves. And that's why people start talking to me about excellence and the dignity of work. And I just like, who's got their fucking hand in my pocket. Now this is a con because The only dignity in work is work that you feel is meaningful for you, not work that someone else tells you should be meaningful for you. At least that's how I feel. So, you know, if I have to take if I have to piss in a cup to get a job in your company, fuck your company. You know, you're treating me like what am I? I'm some fucking animal that you're going to, you know, if I smoked a joint two weeks ago, you're going to fire me. Fuck you. There's, there's just this, this American thing in, around work. I mean, I'm sitting there having lunch in a restaurant and the waitress comes over and says, you still working on that? Fuck no, I'm not working on it. It's a goddamn salad. I don't work on a salad. I'm trying to enjoy it. Yeah. It's well, food. Yeah. Well, there's, there is
0: a, a concerted effort to, or it, it, it benefits to control people's mental frame of the world. Right very much. I was oh, dude, I wrote this down. I'm I'm reading a uh, a book. I'm reading The Ethical Slut right now. I'm really enjoying it. It's a good book. And there's a quote that I just wrote down. Um so Willem Reich theorized. So this was a a Nazi psychologist. He theorized
1: Well, he wasn't a Nazi. He wasn't. Wilhelm Reich was Wilhelm, He was German. He was he German. He wasn't a Nazi. Okay, at I just all. read
0: this today and okay. Oh,
1: he was a really interesting guy. We'll talk about yeah, him. Yeah, after. let's yeah. do it. So do the,
0: so he theorized that the suppression of sexual of sexuality was a, was essential for authoritarian government. Yeah. And that when people were free of shame and if they trusted their own sense of right and wrong, is very much what you're talking about, that it would be very unlikely that they would be willing to do things like operate death camps.
1: Yeah. So tell yeah. me about this guy. Well, Wilhelm Reich was a, a very interesting... I just read this today, so clearly. Psychologist. It's just, yeah, he yeah. was... I believe he was a disciple of Freud's along with Carl Jung, who was the other most famous disciple of Freud's. And Reich, yeah, strongly believed that the suppression of, of sexual energy was underlay most of our uh, personal and national pathologies. He was very—he was a fascinating dude, way ahead of his time. Uh, he sort of—he became famous for developing what he called the orgone collector. He believed orgone was um, sort of a, a basic energy in the the mind-body unit, and that we could. Um, sort of manipulate the 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 flow of orgone to help us achieve higher states and he developed this thing that was kind of like a pyramid and he thought you could sit inside it and it would collect the org because orgone also existed in the universe as an energy field in the universe kind of like the film i watched last night uh uh with uh, d- thrive thrive exactly right. they talk a lot about this energy permeating the universe so that's very much along um, his lines and still to this day, there's a, a, a branch of psychoanalysis known as Reichian analysis, right. which is based on, on his work. Um, but he left Germany and moved to the United States well before the war, I believe. And I don't think he was ever in the Nazi party because he was a fucking, like, proto-hippie. You know, he was a hippie 50 years before there were hippies. Believed in free love and you know, the sexual autonomy of women and, and, um, but he was persecuted ruthlessly and I think he died in prison. By whom? American government.
0: American government. Okay. So he was a German who moved to the U S yeah. Yeah. I, I, again, I was just reading that, that paragraph today and it made so much sense to me. And I find that there are a lot of these parallels between issues, whether it's, it's, sexual oppression and someone's willingness to become an environmentalist or, um, emotional impression, uh, emotional suppression and someone's willingness to you know, become an activist or like what, anything. What's the connection? I, I think that, so, I mean, obviously my, my interests are, are broad and kind of like have a focus in, You're interested in, 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 in broads. <laughs> I'm interested in broads, of course. Uh, yeah, <laughs> No, I mean, my, I mean, kind of my shtick is ocean conservation, right? And for a long time, I've been thinking about how to get people to to care about environmental issues. And I'm, as I'm being exposed to more information in the psychedelic worlds, in um, questioning sexual paradigms, um, antidepressants and the state that we're in right now. I, I find that it's very difficult to to expect that someone is going to stand up for their natural resources if they're hooked on antidepressants or if they are, um, feeling sexually suppressed or if they don't have access to themselves Mm -hmm. in a deep way. Right. And, um, I guess I'm just connecting these kind of seemingly unrelated issues, but it, it's kind of hidden in plain sight, obviously, with the 60s. The the psychedelic revolution was kind of the birth of the environmental movement mm. in a lot of ways. But I'm, I guess I'm just coming at it from a different angle now because it's so difficult to get through to people on an intellectual level. And I find that a lot of times it's a lot more effective to hit it from like helping to free them up in other aspects of their lives
1: so okay but what's the connection between someone being sexually repressed and becoming an environmental activist you're saying they're more likely or less likely I think they're more likely no less likely less, less likely.
0: likely I think that when, when we're when we repress ourselves in any in any way we're less likely to speak out um, and be bold citizens of action right right because we're less in touch with our own our own voice, right. really.
1: See, that's what I was getting at earlier. That, and that that's the basis of my wariness around terms Ex- like excellence, right. you know, and, uh, you know, whatever work ethic and the dignity of work and all that. Right. Because I, I always feel like w- what's being said is ignore the voice of your soul and do what I'm telling you and then you'll be happy. Like, no, no, dude, I'll never be happy doing what you tell me. You know, you'll be happy if I do what you tell me or actually.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you told, you told me something last time on the podcast that stuck with me was, and it was something along the lines of that your sense of okayness has never been externally located. Right. And I think that for, for a lot of people, I mean, myself included, it kind of just, it, it ebbs and flows, but I find that activities like, floating meditating um they really help internalize that sense of okayness with ourselves
1: because you're alone because you're alone you're very deeply alone when you're floating it's probably as close to death as we come in a way because it's oblivion and i took a friend to uh in austin actually i took her to that place and uh we scheduled it to flow together, and when I came out, she was in the waiting room. I was like, hey, how come you're out here already? And, and she was like, ah, you know, 15 minutes, I was done. I, I, that's it. That's no, too much for me. Like, too much of what? Too much silence? You know? And uh, I realized something about her then. It's like she's deeply uncomfortable with herself. You know? How... Because to me, it's like, well, okay, even if you're bored, whatever, you're lying there, you're totally comfortable. I mean, you're warm, you're, you're, you're buoyant, the, you know, you're more comfortable than in any bed. Why not just to hang out? You know, wh- what would make you say, I got to get out of here? Uh, some deep discomfort with yourself, you know? So I think that's an interesting thing about floating, that some people find it threatening. And if you find it threatening to be alone with your thoughts, then there's no refuge for you. There's no safe space for you, you know, until you work that shit out.
0: Nah, you just got to get enough Instagram followers, then you'll be happy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, well, that was why I made the parallel from floating to psychedelics, because I, I find that a lot of people who are afraid to use psychedelics are terrified of the idea of being alone with their thoughts. Right. And that's what. Yeah, because
1: they're living on distraction. Yeah. Yeah. What What have you seen?
0: Have you seen like, you know, I was talking about my friend Gary, who I have noticed has made that shift. And I, I would articulate it in that way, is that he's made the shift from his sense of self and okayness being externally located to internally yeah. located. What have you. Good for him. Yeah, fuck yeah, man shout out to Gary. <laughs> uh, have, can you think of a, a story of someone who you've really seen that shift happen for?
1: Uh, good question. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to think about that longer. I, you know, I think I think you see it happen in people as they mature, if they mature, some people mature, some people just get old, you know, but I think to me, that is an essential trajectory of the maturation process. Um, you know, recognizing that. Uh, you can't give that power away. You can't ever give the power away of, of deciding whether you're okay or not, whether you're cool, whether your your life is, you know, is okay. Yeah, is is acceptable, you know, and if it isn't acceptable, then you are the one who has to make changes, you know, you have to take chances and all that. But yeah, I don't know as far as looking at other people, it it uh, it's hard to say. Uh, certainly, I think I've seen it in women I've known for for some years. Lovers, you know, women I've been intimate with, um, that you see the energy change from, you know, being very um, concerned with how they're perceived
0: yeah, by others, and
1: men's attention and men's hunger and desire, and uh, and then they they get to an age where it's like, you know, what I can't compete on that level anymore, um, because you know I'm not 26 anymore, you know I'm 40 and. Like anybody who's going to be into me now, it's not TNA. It's it's going to be a different kind of thing. And what's really sad is when you see women who are, and I guess men as well, who are so keyed into that sort of the physical, being physically attractive, um, and then seeing it ebbing, right, as they get older, and they just don't want to let go of it. And then they start getting the surgeries and, you know, the ridiculousness. You start chasing something. Chasing something that's receding away from you. Yeah. You know, and you'll never. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Before we went our, our ride, I told you I ran into a woman who's.
1: Our ride. uh, Speaking, our ride on my. Specialized Turbo Levo, (laughs) (laughs) my beautiful shout out to the specialized Uh, company.
0: Yeah, we went on a nice mountain bike ride around Topanga. And
1: I fucking smoked your ass. Because I didn't have a
0: motorized vehicle. (laughs) He's coming up from behind me and goes, hey, Kyle, this is what it's like to be rich. We're on the same hill,
1: but I'm just going faster. (laughs) And working less (laughs) hard. (laughs) <laughs> it's true it occurred to me in that moment it's like that's what it's like i got like i got into harvard because my dad went there. <laughs> fuck. sorry kid i know you worked real hard but
0: and then at the top of the mountain you said man that was steep <laughs> you know i had it on the highest motorized gear and it was still hard for me <laughs> well i was trying to be nice to you man oh, see no, that man. that was that was me being humble yeah uh, anyway Any, anywho. So, Yeah I, I ran into this this girl It was her 31st birthday And she uh, said so happy birthday And she said well you know I don't even like to celebrate my birthday anymore Because after 30 You're kind of going downhill And it's like not even really that exciting You're kind of like eh. and I'm like well You, you might want to challenge that mindset Because you got another 70 years of that Yeah it, My mom told me a story uh that always stuck with me she grew up in in hollywood her father was a producer um and produced a lot of uh, jack lemon films mm. back in the day so she, so they would have dinner parties when she was a little girl uh and they would have famous people come to the house and she remembers seeing these beautiful women come to their house for the dinner parties and feels and and the women she could tell felt so uncomfortable with themselves, right. and the, you know she's this twelve-year-old girl seeing, you know, like these uh, Marilyn Monroe type characters walk through, and she said she remembers having a moment where she was standing in her hallway and she vividly decided to herself that being really pretty wasn't going to be enough. And she decided that she had to get really smart really
1: quickly. Right. It's a great insight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I lived in that house with fashion models for three years in, in Barcelona. Did we talk about that? We had to talk uh, to not last time. time on the podcast. Uh, well, yeah, I lived in this mansion where like there were all these studio apartments and everyone there was a fashion model except me. So I, I learned a lot about models and uh, male and female. And um, I actually did my master's thesis on the psychology of fashion models. So it's, but um, totally confirms what, what your mother was saying. Like the more objectively beautiful someone is, the more their sense of self-worth is tied into that beauty. And the more fragile it is because now they're total. you know, they're getting older and they're not as pretty as that other girl. And, you know, they didn't get that booking and they thought they were going to get it. Oh my God, it's slipping. Or maybe my tits need to be bigger or my ass needs to change or I, I need to lose weight or my hair's not right. Or eh, eh. I The only woman I ever hooked up with the only fashion model I ever hooked up with during that time. Which you could say in some ways, like objectively the most beautiful woman, and she was a fucking lingerie model, right? Um, Insisted we have sex with the lights off. And I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You want the lights (laughs) off? And she said, if the lights are on, I can't stop seeing myself from every angle.
0: Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. With tortured
1: reality. Exactly. Exactly. So. You're like, you know, yeah. when I'm on my
0: motorized mountain bike, I just can't stop seeing myself from every angle because <laughs> I look so damn
1: good. I always, I see myself from behind because I'm when, always up ahead. <laughs> <that's it>. <laughs>
0: Especially <laughs> when I'm dusting your ass,
1: yeah, man. Yeah. My Navi tires. Yeah. Specialized Turbo Levo. <coughs> Love it. They gave me that bike. They didn't ask me for anything. Nothing. They are just like, yeah, if you like it, you know, if you mention it, that's cool. So I'm mentioning it. I Me, love it. Yeah, meanwhile- I you, like people who give shit away and no strings attached. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Companies- Like a couple, of, like a couple of Sam Harris books. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of strings attached to those. <laughs> so what, what Kyle's referring to is- Every time we have a fucking conversation, a few days later, I start getting things in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> first, I got... What was the first thing? I think it was the jump rope. <laughs> the, <laughs> First thing was this, like, super high-tech jump cable, uh, which you could use to, like, I just, I just wanna, throttle a mafioso. I just want to get you on the path to excellence, man. It's <laughs> exactly it. I'm so resistant. He's like, and, you know, you should really read some Sam Harris. Yeah, I don't know, when I get around to it. And then suddenly I've got, like, a Sam Harris library showing up at the door. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> yeah yeah no i'm the same i like to give people shit i like to like nudge them along along the path yeah yeah
0: uh yeah i mean it's kind of it's kind of like this gift economy uh thing like burning man has a gift economy people always say like oh burning man like it's a you so it's like a barter system or something like oh i'll give you my fish for your diamond or something yeah uh but it's not at all. Fish
1: for a diet. That was a bad one. That's Sorry, I was
0: fit. It was, it would be more like, like ecstasy for LSD, like kind of trade.
1: A blowjob for some crack.
0: I don't like crack, done at Burning <laughs> man, not that I know of.
1: <laughs> it's fish, man fish for a diamond <laughs> fish for a diamond god
0: you get beat up for saying something <laughs> like that <laughs> it's
1: a big ass fish
0: oh gosh yeah yeah um anyway no it's 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 a gift economy right, right? it's this like i want to it's this this culture of wanting to offend someone with your generosity Like, like I have this thing that is, is helpful and you'd enjoy it. You know, it's everything from like, oh, I have an orange tree at my house. We're going to peel some oranges and hand them out to, Mm. I have an art car and I want to let you come have the best party of your life on this art car. Right. But what happens when you shift to this, this kind of, uh, abundance economy is profound. It, it it really shifts the human psyche and the way yeah. that we relate to each other, especially in a world where there's this kind of like like social climbing and like tit for tat, quid right. pro quo uh, right. vibe. It Zero, really
1: I'm thinking
0: it really lightens things up.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and, you know, it could be argued that that is more in alignment with human nature Uh, Than the the zero-sum scarcity-based economy, right? Which is my gig. Your gig is saving the oceans. My gig is trying to get people to have a more accurate understanding of prehistory. And one of the things that's very interesting in prehistory is, and also hunter-gatherers who are living today, is that, you know, we look, you know, here we've got this fucking president who is all about, I'm rich. I'm really, really rich. You can't believe how rich I am. And it's all his name on the building and the gold bullshit, you know, fucking horrible. (laughs) What a terrible sense of taste that guy has. But anyway, it's all about how he's, you know, the big man, right? You go to hunter-gatherers, you want to find the person who's considered the leader or the chief or, you know, whatever, the, the terminology that we're using. You, you find the smallest hut. Because the leader, the person who is most respected in that community, generally is the person who gives the most away. So he or she is in the smallest hut. He or she has the f- least beautiful stuff. Because their wealth is, in, is expressed in their generosity. And that, so they... Their social capital is inversely proportional to their material capital. See what I'm saying? So which hunter-gatherer societies uh, use this model? Well, this is what's known as the big man model, and it's uh, particularly prevalent in the the, uh, Pacific, the tropical Pacific islands. Also in Africa, in in a lot of hunter-gatherer groups in Africa. Although they tend to be egalitarian, so the idea of giving more than anyone else is hard because everyone sort of ends up with the same. Uh, It's also expressed in the Pacific Northwest in the potlatch ceremonies where they were competitive gift-giving ceremonies. So you would invite the neighboring villages over... And have this crazy party. It's kind of like a wedding. You were at a wedding recently, right? We see this expressed in weddings. A wedding is an enactment of social generosity in an attempt to increase um, social status. So you see this really strongly in Africa, where if your children get married, you have these giant parties. I went to a wedding in Africa. It was a three-day fucking party, just day after day, and just incredible expense and food and dancing and live bands and, you know, rented cars, bringing everybody around, moving them here and there. It's all about, like, look at me, look at how much I can give away. You see it expressed also in, uh, in a place like India where, uh, it's a sign of status to have a really fat wife because it means you're rich enough that you can not only feed her enough to make her fat, but you can afford to pay for, you know, all the maids and all the stuff. So she doesn't have to move.
0: They take them to fat camps. Fat camps. You know about this? In India? Uh, in in certain areas where uh, being overweight is a sign of beauty, yeah. they'll take women to fat camps and they'll pump them full of like
1: goat milk. And <laughs> <laughs> I milked a goat a couple of weeks ago for the first time. Yeah, yeah, Frida, Frida the goat. Um, have you ever milked a goat? Um, or an animal? I have. Yeah, have you yeah, yeah.
0: Anything? No, I've milked a goat. I've milked a goat before. When I was in fourth grade, I went to this little. Uh, hippie homeschool program uh, called Orchard School in Aptos and we milked Somehow goats. I'm not surprised. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I really deferred from that path. Um, I wanna get I wanna go a little bit deeper into gift giving right. culture right. and prehistory. Is that expressed
1: uh, at all in bonobos? Uh good question. Gift giving um there's certainly A common behavioral sequence will be a male, um, they like sugarcane, and sometimes the keepers in captivity will throw some sugarcane. A male will pick up some sugarcane, walk over to a female, give it to her, she starts chewing the sugarcane, and then they'll fuck. So the food, as a sort of pre-sexual gift giving thing it's, like it's just gesture. common it's like taking yeah. them out to a nice seafood right. dinner <laughs> exactly you could have the raw oysters or you could have a chunk of sugar cane what do you want baby right yeah uh, so that whole food sex thing is is very uh, common in, in bonobos and chimps too I believe um, but with chimps it's more complicated because sometimes there's force involved in sex whereas in bonobos it's there's never force if a yeah. female's not into it She's not into it.
0: Hey, I, I wanted to ask you about, um, before I forget, I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on the aquatic ape theory.
1: Yeah, I think it's very interesting to, to outline for people who aren't familiar with it. Um, the aquatic ape theory posits that at some point in our evolutionary history, humans must have lived or proto-humans must have lived in the um, the tidal Areas uh, along the shoreline because there are many aspects of human anatomy and physiology that are unique to us among the apes, among them being saltwater tears. No other ape has saltwater salinity in its tears. Um, hmm. The fact that uh, human babies know to hold their breath when they're submerged. Chimpanzees will just breathe water and sink. Uh, the fact that babies are born very fat, so they're buoyant. Uh, the fact that we have subcutaneous fat, both males and females, particularly females, and that, uh, subcutaneous fat, meaning a layer of fat between our muscles and our skin, other apes, no other ape has that, uh, that makes us buoyant. Uh, we have oil ducts on our shoulders, backs, and faces, which um the theory is that that protects us from sun um you know if we're sort of like up to our chest in the water and that's why we get zits on our shoulders and face and all that when we're adolescents and other apes don't have that other apes don't have that obviously they have fur you know uh possibly even the directionality of the hair on our bodies uh, appears to be related to, um, you know, movement through water. The fact that our noses, our nasal nostrils point downward, right, whereas other apes' nostrils stick are straight out, um, you know, is good for swimming. You know, there, there are a lot of things that line up and seem to indicate this. Now, mainstream archaeologists uh, would... My understanding is that this theory is dismissed as unrealistic and ridiculous and our bones would be, you know, less uh, weight bearing. You know, a lot of things would be different if this were true, they argue, but I haven't seen any arguments that explain all these different uh, qualities of human beings that are unique to, to us among the apes better than the aquatic ape theory. Uh, I first learned about the aquatic ape theory from a book by Buckminster Fuller, who I know you've got some family connection to.
0: I, inter- I, he's a, f- a friend of family. I interviewed his grandson, Jamie, right. who's done a lot to further the Institute and, and further his, his work.
1: Yeah. So Buckminster Fuller was his great genius independent thinker and uh, in one of his books he mentions the aquatic ape theory and that got me into like looking into it like what the fuck is this and then I read um, what, what's the woman's name uh, I've actually corresponded with her she's great um, the ascent of woman is one of her books Helen Morgan I think is her name or Elaine, Elaine Morgan uh, is the sort of most prominent advocate of this theory but it's, it's very interesting. I, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. I'm not deeply conversant with all the yeah. different arguments.
0: Well, it's, it's sure is interesting, man. You talk to free divers, and they'll give you a dozen more characteristics um, that allow us to dive very deeply underwater. Um, yeah. I mean, for example, if you dive to a certain depth... Um, for a certain time your spleen will contract and will release red blood cells so that you can stay down longer right you know, your organs will kind of collapse in this way that's
1: yeah but see for that to be relevant you'd have to say that doesn't happen with with chimps right. or under that kind of pressure i do not know if that happens and also separately. like the theory doesn't say that we were diving 90 feet down the theory says that we were in the tidal areas So we're like up to our chest in water, right? So, because that's where the the muscles are. You can net fish there. You're not so deep in that sharks can get you, um, but you're you're off the beach, so leopards can't get you. So you're in this sort of sweet spot where there's food. The water's more or less body temperature, if we're talking about the tropics. Um, We know that humans... Uh, the sort of human diaspora from Africa, which... What's diaspora? uh, Spread out, you know, like going out into the world from Africa happened around 70,000 years ago. Um, And we know that it makes perfect sense that they would have gone along coastlines, right? If you can walk along the coast, why would you walk into the mountains, into the jungle? There's lots of crazy shit in there, right? You're going along the coast, there's food, there's fish washing up. There's, like I said, there's plenty of mollusks, you know, the, 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 in Florida and other places, the, are mountains of shells that were found, literal mountains of shells because people are just going along the coast yeah. and, you know, shucking shells, shucking and jiving. But you're saying
0: that from an archeological standpoint, the fact that we have, um, anatomical variations that allow us to dive to deep depth, depth doesn't necessarily support the theory of aquatic age.
1: i don't think so because that isn't the theory the theory right. wasn't that we were diving you know 90 no. feet down to get a sponge or something why would you yeah. right everything you want is is close to the surface yeah. it's food and going deep exposes you to a lot of risks so, yeah, the deep diving thing and the adaptations to that or the parent adaptations to that, to me, doesn't do anything to strengthen that argument. Right, right. It's more novelty. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you could show... It is interesting. Like, when you're... Fa- even... I yeah. mean, I don't know if this would support the theory, but when your face touches water, your heart rate slows down.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. But I'd want to know, like, does does a chimps. Heart rate slow down. Does it bonobos? Does it orangutans? If that's only human, then yeah, I'd want I'd, I'd look into that more deeply. Right. Um, and I, I suspect it is only human because all those other apes would just breathe in the water and freak out, right? They're not going to like go into lower metabolism gear to save oxygen naturally. That's why we're up here and they're still down there. <laughs> down there in the treetops. Down there in the treetops yeah so I don't know it's it's a very interesting it's a very interesting theory and it certainly seems to me like we're better adapted to water than the sort of conventional view of human evolution would presuppose to
0: talk about human change man i've i've never seen human change on a i mean we were talking earlier about like the, your your sense of self being externally located versus internally right but getting people comfortable in water it's seeing people who aren't comfortable in water freak the fuck out uh is something that's been really interesting for me to witness i've had to save uh three people in my life like for, who are out in in the ocean and got swept out in a riptide and i've never seen humans lose their sense of of bodily function and freak out and try and pull me under with them lose all sense of logic the way that i've seen people do it uh when they're uncomfortable in the ocean and to see people who learn how to become comfortable in the ocean through time and experience is um it's a special thing to witness bless you
1: Excuse Bless me. Bless you. Excusez-moi. Yeah. Yeah, I and I think there's very, there's a lot of metaphorical power in it as well. I I grew up in water and I'm comfortable in water and I've had several girlfriends who I taught to swim. Uh and it's one of these things that that you know functions as a deep metaphor for me because the more relaxed you are, the more safe you are yes, in the water, right? I mean, because you're describing these people, they're panicking, right? And that's the worst thing you can do, of course. And it's almost like fake it. You got to fake it. You got to, you're not comfortable, pretend you're comfortable. And then you'll become comfortable because you'll see that it works if you move slowly, you're not going to sink, you know, just sort of you know, breathe normally, don't hyperventilate, then you're going to get dizzy, then you're going to lose. So it's it's one of these, you know, I think we could apply this to so many things in life where it's like, okay, you're a little freaked out, just pretend you're not for a yeah. while, you know? I was down in Mexico uh <clears throat>
0: last year and the waves were really big. We were at this, um, a spot that, that produces really powerful waves. And we saw this, uh, this woman, she was very overweight. She was drunk. She got sucked out in a riptide and I saw it happen. And I, I ran in, I sprinted up the beach. I swam out to her and logically i was trying to explain to her that like look the aquatic ape theory is <laughs> is super uh, relevant like look your nostrils are pointed down you're meant yes, to swim right. you're, you're you're built with this extra layer of fat on you oh, I, I was, and like i got to the point where i was telling her that her when her spleen <laughs> contracts she'll be able to hold her breath longer and she wasn't listening to me
1: you just had to send her a sam harris book that's what I was going to do. Yeah. I was like. <laughs> Here, read this.
0: Send me, your, <laughs> send me your address. Amazon Prime. It'll be there in a day.
1: Overnight delivery. Yeah, I, I, uh, when I was in high school, I did a life, lifeguard course, life-saving, whatever it was. And uh, yeah, the, the main thing I remember from that is that someone you're trying to save will kill you. They'll climb up on top of your head and they won't let go of you and you'll drown. So you get like four or five feet away from them outside of their their reach and you dive down, you grab them by the ankles and you come up the back of their body and you control them and you fight them to say-
0: Wait, wait, what are we talking about
1: here? Yeah, this is <laughs> kinky. This is, this is the way I, <laughs> you know, I do it.
0: You know what they do in the uh, Hawaiian Lifeguard Association, or at least they used to in the last What's generation- that? just sock him in the face punch him in the face punch them in the face yeah if their face someone's freaking out right i
1: I'd immobilize s- i would
0: still absolutely do that if someone uh if someone i wasn't able to physically you control break them. your hand though you gotta be yeah. careful punching people they like, splash him with water
1: in the splash face that'll, that'll calm them down i gotta <laughs> pee second. all right
0: you can keep talking to him if so you I you just, keep just keep talking. talking yeah
1: all right Talk kyle's gonna go pee Um, We've been drinking beer, so this is probably something that's going to happen with some regularity. Uh, Kyle wanted to smoke a joint before we started this podcast, but I wasn't really into it because I wasn't sure I would be articulate. And um, so then he proposed that we smoke a joint halfway through the podcast so that people could witness a before and after. I'm still not sure that's a good idea, but I think I've let him browbeat me into it at this point as long as he promises not to send me any more fucking Sam Harris books. So uh, he's off there pissing in my toilet now, even though I've told him several times that he's welcome to go piss outside where there's no splashback that I need to clean up later. Um, But yeah, for some reason, even though he's got the... To go piss in the driveway option totally open to him. He prefers to go piss in the toilet. Are you sitting down? <laughs> not European, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's not European. <laughs> He's standing up, which means he is splashing all over the fucking place. And I don't have a god. I don't have a maid, so it means I have to go clean up all the splashes. All over. I told you, you could piss in the driveway, man. How come you keep pissing in the toilet? Are you some sort of city boy? You want to smoke (laughs) a (laughs) joint? If we come to the halfway point? Yeah. All right. Yeah, for sure. All right. She was living in a single room with three other individuals. One of them was a male and the other two? Well, the other two were
0: females. God only knows what they were up to in there. And furthermore, Susan, I wouldn't be the least
1: bit surprised to learn that all four of them habitually smoke marijuana cigarettes.
0: Reefers. Halfway through and half is
1: articulate. Here we go.
0: <laughs>
1: this is a bad idea. <laughs> it was. So we, you asked me about the trip.
0: Yes, I did. I said I had three hard dates. And we got to one and, and then, then we, somehow we made it to the aquatic
1: ape theory. The rest was history. So there's the Flow Conference in Portland, 11th to the 14th, where I'll be doing this live podcast recording with Duncan Trussell, the famous... Duncan Trussell, PhD, and then uh, and then the eclipse on the twenty first. There's going to be a total solar eclipse, which I will be watching from somewhere along its path, either in eastern Oregon or maybe Idaho or Wyoming. Out in the van. Out in the van. You
0: should uh, you should get um, welding goggles. <laughs> I swear yeah. it allows you to look directly at the sun yeah. and see it pass through. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be squinty. You're going to be under your canopy. You don't want to be in the shade. It's going to be a letdown. Get welding goggles. You'll be like Iron Man.
1: And then, can I wear those at Burning Man? Definitely welding goggles can you see anything no I mean you know
0: them? what I mean it's like the mask that goes down over your face oh, that yeah. kind of thing it just darkens everything to the point that you can yeah. watch an eclipse yeah. directly
1: uh yeah there's an interesting book called the marriage of the sun and the moon by Andrew Weil it's his second book and uh each chapter in the book is about a different mind-altering plant or experience So there are chapters about psilocybin mushrooms and cocaine and heroin and uh, vomiting, interestingly. And the last chapter is about solar eclipses. And he argues that every culture has these sort of supernatural beliefs about eclipses you know that the moon is eating the sun and you know there's all this kind of crazy shit and he points out that you know the whole mayan and aztec calendars they had very complex advanced calendars the point is to be able to predict an eclipse because if you can predict an eclipse and you sort of set up this whole sort of like expectation and you know you can claim that you're gonna make the you know sun disappear in four days and then it happens and people are like holy fuck (laughs) you know (laughs) do what he says Uh, yeah that would be impressive yeah yeah so
0: like dude dude jake says it's gonna get dark in the middle of the day
1: yeah in a few days on wednesday you're like fucking jake's fucking crazy dude yeah and then it happens. Dude, Jake Jake's was right. Jake's king. Yeah. Dude, uh, I'll totally give half my income
0: king to Jake. Jake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Jake should totally have control of all the guns. <laughs> and the, 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 the whole military. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Y'all okay, seeing Jake. Jake. Okay, Jake. Dude, you hear that Jake was molesting little boys?
1: Let him. Come mm-hmm. on. It's worth it. Oh, whoa. Whoa. Uh, uh, all right, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So we, we go get stoned <laughs> and suddenly this, the recorder is off the table. This is what happens. Is this, is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> this is what happens. Uh, King yeah, Jake, I don't. You I don't should don't edit all this, this shit out. Yeah, it's not yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, but. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, God. And the tailspin its a full swing.
1: Oh, God damn it. So Andrew Weil argues in this book that we also have supernatural beliefs about eclipses. We think we're going to go blind from looking at them. But when the moon is over the sun, now you said the whole process. So you're right that you don't want to look at the process. But during the totality, when the moon is over the sun, you can look straight at it without suffering damage, because the disk of the moon... Now, check this out. The disk of the moon fits over the disk of the sun so perfectly that you can see the solar flares going off the sides, but none of the light of the sun is coming at you directly enough to hurt your eye, which means that the apparent diameter of the moon and the apparent diameter of the sun from the surface of the earth are so closely aligned within 1%, right? Because the disk of one fits over the disk of the other so well. But think about the moon is a fraction of the size of the earth. The sun is thousands of times bigger than the earth, right? And yet the distance, the difference in the distance of the moon from the earth and the sun from the earth exactly compensate for those differences in actual diameter, So that from the surface of the earth, they appear to be nearly identical. That's fucked up. What the fuck is that? It's so crazy. You've got four variables that have to align perfectly for that to happen. On a planet, the only planet that we know of that has intelligent life, which tends to be of two sexes, two polarities, almost every culture on the planet... Sees the moon as a feminine being and the sun as a masculine being, right? So all these things line up, and there's this crazy mathematical convergence that doesn't need to be this way. I wrote to Andrew a while when I read this, and I was like, "Has anyone ever uh, looked at the apparent diameter of the moons of Jupiter from the surface of Jupiter? Right? Because we could do the math." and then compare that to the parent diameter of the sun and he wrote back and he said people have done that and they don't line up at all Whoa. so you follow what I'm saying no I totally totally it, it, to me that you know we're talking about supernatural shit and is there God is there this is there that to me that's the most amazing thing i can think of far more than the you know the oh the circumference of the pyramids if you align it on spring and you know the equinox or what that's 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 too involved there are too many variables there there's too much you take this shape and you make it three-dimensional and then turn it and twist it and it turns into this this is the fucking sun and the fucking moon and as soon as we had enough technology To calculate how far away is the moon and how big is it? How far away is the sun and how big is it? As soon as you have those four numbers and you go, well, then why do they look the same? So how much bigger could the moon be to
0: still have that um, perspective? Like like what's the median involved that you could still see solar flares?
1: See, that's the thing. It could be, I think it's within 1%. Right. Okay. So the, the, because it varies because the moon and the sun, both their distance from earth isn't constant. So, you know, different times of the month and different times of the year, the sun and the moon are are more or less close to the earth. So it varies, but in a solar eclipse, it's within 1%, which is fucking nuts. Yeah,
0: that is nuts. Do you believe in a, in, uh, God man Growing up in Santa Cruz I have A fucking allergy To this kind of shit Like Like We're going down here And then it's like Well Like Are you Are you a cancer sign With (laughs) the The half moon rising or The full moon of January 9th Yeah I I just yeah I find that, yeah what I just crystals? Fu- fucking char- oh, this one are they like... char- are they charged crystals? <laughs> this costs extra. I have a friend who's a yoga teacher, and she told me once that uh, a client tried to pay her and charged crystals. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Some fucking bullshit. I mean, I, th- I this is uh, my allergy to it is that the credulity of humankind tends to take real. Real miracles, and I mean, just just really interesting things like you're talking about, and then attach stories to them in very unhealthy ways. Uh, But I do think that's very cool what you just said. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I don't see that. I resist doing that. I don't. I don't say what it means, other than that it seems to me to be intentionally meaningful. Yeah. It to me it comes across as something where whatever higher intelligence there may be looked at that and said what could i do that will become clear as day when they reach a certain stage of development that they'll look at it and go like oh look at that that's a message right there you know that's a window that's uh as walt whitman calls them leaves of grass where he in his great poem leaves of grass he he, uh, or it's a book actually. Um, but the poem is song of myself. And he talk- he's talking about God. Is there a God? And how would I know a God? And, and he, there's certain things that he sees in his life. He says there is if God dropped a handkerchief for us to find, you know, there's just this like, Oh, here's something for you. Think about this. Yeah.
0: What do you think about all that?
1: Well, you know, you've got things like the aquatic ape thing, where huh, how come babies know not to hold their breath? Think about that, where it leads to a, a line of inquiry that can be really interesting. But this kind of thing, to me, it it suggests a realm beyond this realm. You know, like sometimes things, I feel like, I feel like uh, there's leakage. Of the realm beyond this realm. I've had experiences in life, personal experiences where it's like, oh, look at that. Wow. That's significant in a way beyond the circumstances of life, right? Premonitions, things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. Um, What else? Well, coincidences of running into a certain person in a certain place at a certain time. Like, there's no way that all these things align in this Moment. Um, yeah, yeah, different experiences. But, um, but that's how I feel about the supernatural that there's a realm beyond this one that, and they're like cracks almost and occasionally something will shine through from that realm and you'll go, wow, that's not from this realm. That's from another realm. I don't know what it means beyond that. That's, that's as far as I've gone.
0: Are are there any, uh, religions that you identify with on any level?
1: Well, Buddhism, Buddhism. I, I respect Buddhism. Sure. What about it? Uh, I think first of all, I, I like the politics of Buddhism. There's no Vatican. There's no, uh, money structure. There's no, uh, gold reserves anywhere the Dalai Lama is sort of seen as like the number one Buddhist, but that's Zen Buddhism, which is a particular sect of Buddhism that other Buddhists don't necessarily have anything to do with. I like the fact that if you want to call yourself a Buddhist, fucking call yourself a Buddhist. Nobody gives a shit. There's no secret handshake. There's no, you don't have to cut your body or your daughter's body. You know, none of that. Uh, it, it, I think it's, it, you know, the Buddha even said like, don't fucking call me the Buddha you know like I'm just one they're all over the place gangster as fuck yeah it's like it's like Elon Musk saying here take our fucking patents or whatever public domain yeah it's like you're so cool that you don't give a shit if people think you're cool right which gets back to our earlier (laughs) conversation so I like Buddhism in that respect in terms of the philosophy of Buddhism uh I am sort of down with half of it. Well, I'm down with all of it, but there are interpretations. So, for example, the the sort of central tenet of Buddhism, as I understand it, is that are we suffer because we become attached to the things we want, and we yearn after them, and we uh, are repulsed and try to avoid things that bother us or that we're afraid of. And so we're constantly running toward or away from things that we're imagining. And then we're distracted from where we are right now and our lives go by and we've never been in the moment. We've never actually been living because we're always chasing the future and fleeing the past or vice versa if we're anxious, you know. Um, so I think that's totally true. And the, the problem I've had with Buddhism Is around desire, because desire is generally seen as an enemy of equanimity. And what's your problem with that? Well, I get it for most things, desiring, you know, a Hummer or a Rolex or, you know, the big house on the hill. But I've taken a lot of pleasure in life from desire. Of of women and erotic desire particularly, and I feel like there's this there's a, and this is gonna sound corny as hell, but I feel like there is, well you mentioned it earlier, like seeking wisdom in sensation, seeking wisdom in immersion, you know, Uh, and I've instinctively always felt that that's a path that's worth acknowledging and a path that I'm particularly interested in and able to tread without, you know, getting lost in it.
0: So how do you not get lost in that? So you're, you're going down this road of sensation, enjoyment, excitement. How do yeah. you, how do you get excitement? Because it's, it seems to me that the problem comes when excitement turns to anxiety. Right. Right. Exactly. When, when that emotional shift occurs.
1: Right. Excitement to fear.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, um, how do you how do you get back?
1: Well, I mean I don't see that excitement to fear thing happening so much. Uh I mean, well so, so here's here's the question, like how do you decide
0: what sensation to put in your life and what to keep out of it? Because it seems like that's the danger is when people don't have a good right. a good barometer for right. what to what's what very good to keep and take. And and, yeah. and Buddhism I see they're just like, okay, let's keep this at an arms distance because we see how badly desire fucks people up right and and torments them and and really is responsible for a lot of the suffering right because desire can can become um tweaked in a way where all of a sudden it's the desire to control other people the desire to have the tallest building on the block with no with no concept of whether or not it needs to be that tall right and as a result we see um women being controlled in a lot of uh societies we see um mass environmental degradation right i think it all comes from this kind of uh s- like psychological pathology
1: yeah but i i don't think it would be fair and i'm not saying you're doing this but it wouldn't be fair to blame all that on desire no no you're, you're
0: right i think i'd, I'd I think I just made a logical jump and it's cause I'm stoned.
1: <laughs> no, but we were
0: getting some, we were getting something. Well, you
1: done. asked like, you know, how do you filter the good desire, the, the worthy desires from the unworthy desires, right? Like how do you decide what to let into your life and yes. whatnot? And that, I think that's an important consideration, right? Because, um, I'm sure I've said this to you before. I like to do dangerous things safely, Right. So the way I've looked at it in my life is what's the cost benefit ratio here? How much sensation am I going to get from this? That could be something I can learn from or just having, have experienced it. Right. Versus how much is this going to hurt my body? What's the risk of death? Um, Am I hurting someone else? Am I hurting anyone else? Obviously. Yeah. So, You know, those sorts of considerations. So, for example, you know, hallucinogens, when I first started doing hallucinogens, I was like, wait a minute, this costs five bucks for a hit of acid. I'm tripping for like 10 to 12 hours. It's the most interesting kind of altered state I've ever experienced. And it's non-toxic because i i read the science the first time i tried i was like what is this and i read the science i read about albert hoffman i read the you know the neurotoxicity and the the propaganda all the bullshit about how it you know breaks your chromosomes and you know it can lead to schizophrenia all this kind of bullshit i read all that stuff and i was like okay this is bullshit this is relatively non-toxic no one's ever died from it you could lose your shit but you can lose your shit if you're in a car accident, or your cousin dies, or your girlfriend breaks up with you. You know, lots of things can provoke right. you know psychotic break, and particularly in young men. Um, yeah, so I looked at that as like low low risk, high high learning capacity or potential. So that's why I was into hallucinogens for quite a while. Um, how, how into them
0: were you? Like, what, how well, often I use you them a
1: lot. Think? I yeah. mean, when I was in probably like you know the the, when I was in college and maybe four years after that well when I was in college there was a period where I was tripping several times a month for a few years and then when I was traveling it varied depending where I was in the world and who I met along the way and whatever
0: would you consider yourself through that time period a um I guess uh, a serious psychonaut in the sense of going into the the experience with intention to really deepen and broaden your understanding of self and the universe.
1: Well, see, this is this gets back to the earlier point of... Like, what I'm
0: trying to say, Chris, yeah. is were you trying to achieve excellence while you were on these <laughs> see, psychedelics?
1: Exactly. I was just... I, I didn't think of that, but I was... I was you are heading in that direction. I was heading in that direction. It's like, it's the way I travel... It's the way I do drugs. I don't know if it's the way I have sex or approach sex. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. But like, I like to get to a good place and just hang out there. So I'm ambitious in the sense that I want to find a really interesting place, but I'm, but I can hang out there. I got to this place, Pushkar in India. I sat there for three weeks. I was like, I don't ever want to leave. I mean, someday I'm going to leave, but I'm not in a hurry to leave. You know, I just want to chill here. This is amazing. Um, So it's the same thing with hallucinogens. I wasn't like, you know, I read Terrence McKenna and they would do these mega doses and, you know, converse with fucking frog beings or something from out in the middle of nowhere. And like, yeah, I did, I did a heroic dose. The probably, I think it is the last time I did acid and it, it was a fucking nightmare but, <laughs> but uh, uh, So that's not my thing It's like I like doing this I want to do it again and again I don't need to push it to the fucking limit And ruin a good thing Right. Like I had a motorcycle for years I ride a motorcycle like a fucking grandpa man I'm not in a hurry I'm not impressing the girls I got a girl on the back I, wanted, I want her to get home safe. Yeah. So I like riding motorcycles, but I'm not a fucking Yahoo, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I guess my question in regards to psychedelics isn't so much like the dose that you would take, but the mindset that you would go in with.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely approach it with respect. Yeah, clearly. I
0: think you have a very healthy relationship with psychedelics.
1: Yeah, no, I do too. It's very, uh, it's been a very important Learning experience for me, you know, as much as travel. Tra- it's almost like they're the same thing. One is external yeah. and one is internal, but both of them give you the, the opportunity to see things from multiple perspectives. And there's nothing, there's no single lesson that's more crucial, I think, to intellectual development than appreciating that your perspective is just a perspective and there are others even within your psyche there are other ways of perceiving reality
0: i was just talking to jim fadiman about this in the last episode that i did with him because he's thinking about writing a book about the multiplicity of identities and when you think about yourself who you are there are actually a number of versions of yourself and to to recognize that is is very important did we
1: I don't think you and I have ever spoken about uh, one of the PhD dissertation ideas I had that I didn't end up pursuing. I did some initial research and then dropped it. But my ex, who I mentioned earlier, who didn't recognize who uh, uh, the Rolling Stones were, you know, didn't. uh, Jagger. So she speaks uh, Catalan, Spanish, French from birth. Because her mother's French, her father's Catalan, and she lived in Spain. And then she learned English when she was like 11 or 12. So she speaks English with an American accent and, you know, doesn't translate in her head. She just speaks it naturally, right? So I was living with her in San Francisco, and I had smoked a joint, and she was calling her parents in Spain. And so the first part of the conversation, she's speaking to her father in Catalan, and then her mother got on and she was speaking French with her mother. And there was like some interruption where she put her hand on the phone and then was talking to me, asking me some questions so she could you know tell her mother. And I was watching this and I was stoned I was, and it was like, that's not Peggy speaking Catalan and Peggy speaking French and Peggy speaking English. That's Catalan Peggy, French Peggy and English Peggy. Those are three different identities. She's not one person switching between languages. She is a, a, a multifaceted brain shifting between these different phases that it configures itself, right? And so I had that sort of insight, and it's like a metaphorical insight, I guess. But then it occurred to me that I'd heard some research on uh, multiple personality disorder, right? And Stanley Krippner actually was the consultant for the movie Exorcist. This is your
0: mentor. Stanley yeah, Stanley, Stanley
1: my, my buddy. Yeah. Uh, and so I went to him and he gave me a bunch of uh, research. And I found that there are studies on people with multiple personality disorder that show that when they are in different personalities they have different physiological states associated with each of those personalities like base heart rate maybe 82 in fred but when mary comes up it's the base heart rate's 104 or uh, blood pressure changes and when they move between the the different personalities, it returns to that signature state of that personality, right? Yes. Even, and I, I think there was only one study that indicated this. This is back in the 90s. I was looking into this different uh, interocular pressure. So one personality would wear glasses to read and the other didn't need them.
0: Whoa.
1: Isn't that crazy?
0: That is Wild. (laughs) It's so crazy. Well, so I
1: wonder how much this
0: involves the placebo and our belief systems. And if you believe that you're an anxious person, then your heart rate will be at a higher rate than if you believe truly that you are a relaxed person. But but
1: why would you believe in French that you're an anxious person, but in Spanish that you're not? Because see, this is what I wanted to do then. I wanted to take that research and apply it to people who are multilingual from an early age and see if there were different physiological signature states associated with the different languages because then if there were, I would be demonstrating that language creates identity which would be fucking Nobel Prize shit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, do you, that, I
0: mean, do you think that that's the case? Like if I, uh, like a I Spaniard, very a, Spani- well maybe. a Spaniard has a lower heart rate than an American
1: and it's, I mean, so, you, how, no, so, no, so here's no, the not all Spaniards. I'm no. just saying Peggy, for yes. example, my ex, if, she, if her heart rate and blood pressure and possibly interocular pressure were different when she were speaking Spanish versus English versus Catalan versus French. And I could demonstrate that that was the case in 50 or 100 people. That would be pretty fucking interesting. Not that the French is necessarily more stressed out than the Spaniard. It'll vary in different people. But if there are physiological states that correlate with different linguistic stances, then that shows something fundamental about personality being secondary to language.
0: Okay. Okay. I mean, there's st- um, yeah. there's
1: research showing, for example, that language. We, we already know it's well demonstrated that language uh, frames perception. So, for example, if you show uh, different colors and ask people to differentiate from different shades of of colors, right? If they have if there are words in their language for those different shades. They're better at differentiating them than if there aren't. So, for example, in our language, we might have like, we have what, orange, burnt orange, brown, basically, right? But there are languages that have seven words for the different gradations between those things right because they're berries or something that they're interested in
0: well i mean i'll tell you this man uh language very much shapes thought process like i mean we oh, have yeah. been going th- through like my love affair for sam harris and it's because he has words for shit that i just like vomit out and i'm trying to explain like mindfulness and i feel like i just get to know myself better but when i hear some i mean like yourself as well you're Highly articulate, you create words to allow people to feel what they're feeling more fully, mm. right? And and there are languages and words that allow people to see what they're seeing with more detail. Yeah. And that shapes our human experience. Fuck yeah.
1: Yeah, and also, I mean, that's one of the things I learned teaching English overseas. I came to appreciate English as a language a lot, English is a really interesting language because it's so malleable. You can twist it into so many different shapes. Give me an example. Fuck you, you fucking fuck. That's a quote from a movie, by the way. Which movie? Blue Velvet. Never saw that. Oh, dude. You got it. Blue Velvet's it's the classic. It's classic. Dennis Hopper. Fuck you, you fucking fuck. Fuck. <laughs> Uh, Let's deconstruct that sentence. Yeah. So, fuck you, fuck verb. You fucking fucking uh, adjective in this case of in the gerund form. So it could be the present continuous, I am fucking, or it could be uh, an adjective, you're a fucking asshole, right? Fuck, noun. The object of the sentence is fuck. So the word fuck is occupies three different parts of speech in one sentence. Try doing that in Spanish. You'll, there's, you'll never do it. It's impossible. So we can, the language, English language lends itself to creativity and, you know, Oh, I'm going to grow a company. You know, what do you mean grow a company? That wasn't even a phrase until, you know, recently, um, you can use English in ways. That's why, you know, look at rap, look at, you know, songs, poetry. There's great Spanish poetry, but there's no fucking Spanish Shakespeare. You know, people say Cervantes was the Spanish Shakespeare. Okay, fine. But, but, and and also if there are any Spanish literature of people listening to this i don't pretend to be any sort of an expert you know in the, you know the original cervantes or anything you get some emails uh exactly too yeah uh yeah but gonna, i mean they're gonna be spanish have you ever they're read... gonna
0: be spanish poems
1: talking about <laughs> <laughs> pablo neruda fans yeah how dare you sir uh yeah but english is just so, a, it's a very uh, interesting language
0: right well i mean i i see that a lot with new phrases that come out like content creator didn't used to exist a few years ago. Collateral now now you, can damage. Be, you can be a content
1: creator. Yeah. Egg layer. Yeah. I, I mean, I think most of the better phrases come, come through black culture. Like all the good shit comes from the African American culture. They're much more playful with the language than the white culture in general. Where does that come from? Do you think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they seem to be uh, here we're going to get into racism and all that, but uh you know, there's I think there's more playfulness in African American culture in general than there is in white culture. Whether you say that is something to do with Africa or it is to do with um being at the bottom of the social and economic pile and you know, the lower classes are always freer to experiment and you know, their sex lives are freer and the, you get up into middle class society. There's more rules and, you know, reputation. It, is that true? There's more
0: sexual freedom in lower class In uh, lower and,
1: and upper. Hmm. So what you find it's kind of like taxes, right? It's like the people in the middle pay the taxes. People at the bottom don't pay taxes because they don't have any money. People at the top don't pay taxes because they have lawyers and accountants that get them out of it. It's the middle that pays, and it's the same thing with sexual politics. If you look at Victorian England, for example, right, which you know, your image of Victorian England is that nobody was getting laid, and it was t- well, there were more prostitutes per capita in Victorian London than any time before or since, uh, and there were orgies and all these crazy masked balls and all this shit among the upper classes. It's the middle that had to follow these very strict rules and everybody was all uptight. Poor people are fucking in the alleyways and rich people were, you know, having orgies in their fancy palaces. Uh, eyes wide shut shit. Yeah, everyone, exactly. Everyone wears a mask. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Why is that? So, do you think? Well, cause rules are for common people to follow. You know, that's, it's just the way society is if you have nothing to lose it's harder to get you to follow the rules right like yeah what are you gonna do throw me in prison all right well you know i'm homeless anyway or you know um, you're not giving me anything, so why should I follow your rules? That's that's sort of the lower class, and the upper class is why should I follow the rules? I fucking run this tool. Yeah, I run. You know? I write the rules. Yeah, exactly. So you see that reflected in you know everything.
0: Right. Do you think that that's where the greatest shift is going to happen that we see in society over the next number of years is the middle class breaking out of that model?
1: Like, do do you think that that's what, yeah. I I don't know. I I mean, I don't know. Economically, we don't want to get into this. No, we don't. But
0: like, I I think that like cultural shift clearly, I mean, you, you're on, I I know you're going to hate this word, but you're on some kind of a mission right now, connecting with people who are um, thinking differently. Right, is that fair yeah. to say? Is that yeah. fair? Is yeah, that at least sure. fa- is that at least fair to say that like no, you're definitely. connecting with people who are looking to to ex- push their own consciousness, push rules, push just like what life can be? Yeah. And I th- I think that you um I mean, you're obviously not preaching like, look, we need to change this and change that, but you're looking at societies that seem to be working better than others and you're breathing life into those societies. So I guess, the, yeah, I mean, we're kind of talking fair. about like the middle the middle class and shift happening. Um, where do you see that that kind of shift happening on the most effective scales?
1: Yeah, well, you know, it may be... Part of it may be that the middle class is shrinking so rapidly in this country. And so part of the freedom and opportunity, unfortunately, comes from what I said earlier, people who have, they're they're like, you're giving me nothing. Why should I follow your rules? Right? So more and more people are finding themselves in that position now, I think. You know, young people are graduating from university and they're like, okay, let's see. I'm, you know, fifty to to $100,000 in debt. Uh, I don't have health insurance like all my friends from Europe do. I'm not going to live as long as my parents, probably. I'm not going to have the kind of security or wealth that my parents had. What the fuck? What's in it for me? Yeah, I followed all the rules and here I am. Yeah. Like, I start out in a hole. So... I don't know if I want to follow your fucking rules. There might be a better option here, you know? So I think that's where a lot of people are. All right. We got to wrap this up soon, but yeah. what's the third thing you're
0: doing on your trip? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Parts mud two, and three. Uh, yeah. My voice is going.
0: Yeah. Float tanks, solar eclipses, burning man and burning man done to done we'll leave that for for an upcoming podcast yeah if, if i man. get tickets
1: yeah anyone out there who has tickets give them to me before you give them to kyle he That's... doesn't he doesn't need them <laughs> <laughs> we'll see y'all at burning man <laughs> yeah
0: if any of you have burning man tickets out there be sure to sell them to me instead of chris Hey, before you take off, please take two minutes and give this show a rating on iTunes or wherever you're listening from. If you have an iPhone, what you're going to do is go to the bottom right-hand corner in your screen right now where you will see the search button. You're going to type in The Kyle Tierman Show, even though you're already on it right now. It's going to take you to a new page. You're going to click that page, and then you will see a page that says Details, Reviews, and Related. You're going to click the reviews, give it a few stars. It helps other people find the show. Got a lot of good episodes for you coming up ahead. Up next, we've got the sex educator, Amy Baldwin. I did a round two with her and many, many more. I'm going to be releasing two to three a week for at least the next few weeks because I have a lot of episodes in the bank. All right. Get outside. Get in the ocean. If you're not near an ocean, get in the lake. If you're not near a lake, get in a bathtub. I promise it will make your day better. I'm going to leave you with a song from Light the Band. They're playing me and Baby Brother. I will link to their band in the show notes on my website, kyle.surf. See you soon. One, two, one, two, three, four.